Hello everyone, welcome back to the left page. I am Frank, as always, your historian watching the world burn and history get thrown in the trash bin, but I will remain here till the end, whenever that'll be. But <laughs> I'm here, always will be here. Bruno sadly won't be joining us today because his computer was in a bit of a fritz, so what would have been a recording of us two this week didn't happen. But I have another fun discussion today, or short episode, because, uh, again, this is another quarantine log, so probably won't go too much over about half an hour. Because, yeah, I feel like I should I should control how much I talk, <laughs> regardless. So, today I'm actually going to be talking about a very, very classic novel. An American classic, especially, so that one goes out to to you. Good luck, too. <laughs> so, we're going to be talking about The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger, the 1945-46 novel, uh, which was actually published serially at that time and as a novel in 51. It is a book that doesn't need that much of a presentation, but, you know, we never know. And regardless if you read or not, it, it is always good to remember what we're talking about. We follow, I think, a weekend in the life of Holden Caulfield, who I think he's 17 years old, so he's a teenager, in like the late 40s in America, post-war US. So basically, uh, the time when adolescence as a concept, as a general understanding, was becoming a thing and a way of understanding. So it is sort of this first adolescence. And the book is actually incredibly controversial, incredibly interesting, because it it, it fo we follow the, these two days in Holden's life as he reflects, as he thinks, as he hesitates a lot, as he's trying to figure himself out. He is lost really in this time of his life as he has had a very difficult time the whole the story is framed as his recollection of two days as he thinks on it some time later we don't know how much so all we, we are from the get-go that all this ha a lot of things that happened and that the story ends in a particular way and, and i'll get on to it soon. Uh, th this will be full spoilers because it it's difficult to avoid spoilers when talking about this book as well as I'm thinking about it now. But I think there's a lot I can get from it. But we basically follow Holden as he reflects and considers like what he wants to do with his life or like the fact that he does not know and how he copes with this time of his life of like how he's feeling, how he's relating and connecting to people. And in this time of growing up, but also fear of growing up. Holden has a very complicated history. He's been expelled from numerous schools and he's getting expelled again. The, he's thinking about like, okay, I, I'm gonna have to get home and tell my parents or whatever, and he, he leaves before the actual end of the school year. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to narrate and do this coherently, because it's 
it's tough. Like, the book is structured narratively, as Holden goes moment by moment, day by day, or the, as these two days go on. And his reflections, his considerations. But to simply, like, analyze it, it's a bit more difficult. I'm sorry if this is sort of lackluster. But I'll do my best. Editing might help. Probably not. You know. Trying to be honest. <laughs> but we understand how Holden... Holden seems very irritable. Very... He's lost, really. And he gets annoyed. He is angry. He gets bored. He gets depressed. It's... One of the best ways i found of reading it and understanding it, regardless of being... How can I put it? Regardless of it being... Of you being sympathetic, because the book talks about adolescence and about this anguish as a teenager. Like, this is a book about being a teenager. Uh, a white teenager in the US, of course, at a very particular time. But that still speaks a lot about a sort of general essence to what adolescence and these teenage years have been sort of conceptualized and understood. In this anguish, in this drama that's everywhere, in this uncertainty and not knowing what you want in physical, psychological, intellectual changes and growths, really. Because of all that, the novel has a very particular appeal when you read it at that age, when you're like 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and you're at that particular time in your lives, and you get that feeling. To read it later, and okay, I'm not that much older than that. <laughs> when I did my first read, I think I was like, what, 14? 14, yeah. And it had a particular, it struck some nerves into me. And as I reread it, uh, because of a particular like, study group that I have from uni uh, on history and fiction with my advisor, because uh, I've been wanting to do, as I mentioned before, work on uh, history and fiction, and he's been working on that, and he has an actual study group that they gather monthly and read theory or, or fiction. And uh, for this month of May, it was The Catcher in the Rye. And so I did a, a rereading six, seven years later. And it's been really interesting. Some things were the same, some things weren't. So it's a book that talks about a very particular time in a person's life, even if it is a white man's life. It also, it, hit, it may or may not have that same enchanting effect afterwards. The, my advisor... He he mentioned how, well, when he read it much younger, it had a particular effect. Later, and this rereading included, it didn't enchant him as much. Like, it was interesting, it was good, but it, it wasn't the same. There was a greater distance between that. So it, it is also a book that has a very particular reception by the reader, which is interesting. It's the whole thing about writing, like... You write the text for a variety, whatever that text may be, for a variety of reasons. Uh, most of them that should involve, like, what you want to do as an author. However, the work is not complete until it's it's been read. The text cannot exist as text, really. It, it needs to be read. That That's the whole point. 
So it's funny how it has various positions. And for me, a great deal of what Holden does that might, like this sort of rebelliousness, this, uh, the whole thing about like James Dean, like a uh, rebel without a cause, it's that feeling. A lot of that did struck a nerve back then and elements of it do now. But it, the the sort of the looseness and the misguidedness of most of it is irritating to me, to be quite honest. But what the book is fantastic in doing is that it, well, it, it feels difficult to take Holden seriously. He can be irritating and annoying to like to the point where you can't take him seriously. But there are points when you're led to believe that that is not an easy thing to do, or rather that you should take him seriously. It seems as, yeah, no, he's just being a teenager and it seems easy to dismiss. But it isn't. That's the point. There are other moments when you're like, oh, okay. And here follows a content warning, because I didn't mention any of it, so uh, there's no problem that this is only coming now. Or this will be in the title card and all that, uh, that I do on Twitter, this, uh, it's fine that this content warning only comes now. I'm going to be talking a bit about violence, abuse, and suicide. So, be warned, this is where I'm going to start going on to that, because, yeah, there are things that can be taken from that. As I was mentioning, Holden's talking about how, oh, um, I'm not sure what, what I like, if I like anything, and then he remembers, oh, I did like a particular fella named of Castle, and he mentions, like, yeah, he was a uh, good old, good old Castle, and then he mentions how Castle committed suicide because of severe violence and bullying that he had at the school. And Holden mentioning his hatred and his anger for that school, like, Oh, that, that makes sense. It's almost as if, like, Holden is misguided, but he's not, he, he's not an idiot. He's definitely not. He's incredibly intelligent and incredibly sensitive, but he is, he's a teenager. So he is at this time, he is learning, he's growing, and he, he wants something, but he doesn't really know what. It's very difficult for him to face all of this and to put it as sort of an extreme example, to face the world, especially now, like worse than then, well, I guess worse in a few ways, different in others. We are lost, we we are trapped within this capitalist framework, trapped within ideology. Trapped with misery, with exploitation, with violence, and we 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 are shown that like oh choose between all these options, but there are things that you cannot do, and that creates distress, that creates rebelliousness, that creates anger, that creates uncertainty, and when we're growing up, when we are becoming anew, to define ourselves, to constitute our own identity, our own individuality, who we are, who we want to be, it it's not a simple thing to do either. 
as we learn about Holden, we understand that a great deal of his anger, his rebelliousness, it's not really misguided. He's dealing with a very particular type of grief. A grief for, well, losing his, I think, younger brother, Ali, who, who he was very close, and upon his death via leukemia, of all things, he went around smashing with his hand all windows in the house. He was enraged, he was angry, and he couldn't really process or learn how to process this grief. And now, a couple of years later, I'm not exactly sure how much time it has been, but he's put in this position that he has to deal with the grief for childhood. He's becoming an adult, and in this transition period, he has to deal with giving up all that. A lot of his memories are like, oh, uh, throwing snowballs and having fun and acting like a kid. And those are warm memories for, to him. On the other hand, he he does things which are adult. He smokes, he drinks, he <laughs> he has a patch of gray hair, he's very tall. So... He is both a kid and an adult. I guess that is what being a teenager is. Is being these two things, being in the middle of them while being none of the other ends. It's being in this transition, in this middle ground. Which is a difficult place to be. Like It's when everything is sort of, or not, coming together. And... For the entirety of the novel with Holden, nothing is coming together. Like, he's trying to figure out what he wants, where he wants to be, who he is, who he likes, who he doesn't, what he likes, what he doesn't. And there are numerous moments where he's sort of... He exaggerates, like, oh, that's uh, that took 300 years, or that took... Or he was uh, a kilometer away... There are moments where he's trying to handle with his with his world, and everything's extreme because it's almost as if he is under attack, and a great deal of adolescence is being constantly under attack. Your body, your identity, uh, your image, everything is in constant attack. Be it from just like well, you're growing, you're changing, you're like. Your relationship with the outside world, with other people, is changing because everyone is changing. So it is a time of extremes, and handling all that is very difficult. Uh, It's strange. I I read uh, an article about Persona 5 on Unwinnable, I think. I'll link it further below if I can find it. But it, it was basically talking about how, like, why are there so many high school movies? Why is that such a thing and so constant and so often? And why are there so many games and movies and stories and series about that? Why is that such a thing? And how can that be so annoying at times? And why does Persona 5 do it well? And I'm gonna, I think it comes into relationship with that because it talks about how to represent a teenager, something that like Salinger basically pioneered. 
in doing this, like this contemporary teenager. There's a great deal, I think, and that doesn't come up in the article, about how, like, the American high school, that time, via Hollywood and all that, and the cultural industry, that became a thing. That is sort of like the paradigm by which we think this particular time in our lives. And on the other hand, there are elements are like, because this is such a an uneasy time where everything is sort of forming, coming together, or trying to, in such a time of decisions, it is a memorable time in our lives, whether we like it, hate it, or, I don't know, go in the middle. And Persona 5 does it well, and I definitely agree with Unwinnable there, because I love Persona 5, it's great, and I think it portrays teenagers in a way that, like, it takes them seriously in what they're thinking and who they are. It's not simply about, oh, all this is, oh, how silly, how stupid, how meaninglessness. Other than, well, the movie does, the movie, the game adds meaning. More than that, it it treats them seriously. It's not contemptuous with them. It's like, oh, <laughs> what's the point? No, it's like, they are feeling all this, and it is these bundle of feelings, ideas, emotions. It's not simple, and that's a great thing. This time in our lives, it is a time of definition, and sure, looking back, it might some of it might seem silly or meaninglessness, and like, yeah, I guess it does, but not at the time, and that anguish, that feeling, that uncertainty is legitimate. Sure, uh, Holden Caulfield annoys me at times with his hesitations. Like, I remember this from my very first reading. It's like, I sympathized, and I do sympathize with him a great deal. But like, I want to say it. Just say what you're thinking. Say it! And he doesn't. And I was like, ah, fuck. But the point is that while it may seem annoying and may be difficult, it doesn't mean that I don't have moments where, like, yeah, I, I, that is annoying and whatnot, and back then, sure. But I also get a great deal of those feelings. Uh, th they make sense. That uncertainty, that anguish, it's not invented. Like, sure, he may contradict himself, he may, he may act poorly, he may be even senseless a great deal of time, but it's not facetious, it's not... It's not of ill will. It's genuine. Even if it is weird and without purpose. Even if it is without cause. It's still real. It's still felt. And when we truly look at Holden's life, losing his brother, having faced bullying in, his, in school numerous times, having his face like, a colleague of his committing suicide. And there's a very small note at, at the penultimate chapter that, like, he has suffered some dimension of, like, uh, harassment by uh, older, older men and women. Um, or older men, whatever. But all those difficulties, all those traumas for him it shows how, like, it's not that he's being childish 
Maybe he is, but that's exactly the point. It's because growing up is scary. It's because facing the world head on is like an adult with the responsibility, with the challenges, and sort of like in your own head is... It's not an easy thing to do. Not in the slightest. So I guess what I'm going to sort of head towards a sort of conclusion now, because while I said numerous things about it, I think I think there's a real essence to the book on capturing this moment, this moment of misunderstanding. Like the, there's the Truffaut series of movies, and the first one is, I'm not sure of the... <laughs> English translation, but it's in Portuguese at least, it's The Misunderstood. And it talks about th this teenager and how he is misunderstood. About not about the generational gap and not a real conflict, but like a misunderstanding really, and how these times are different. And if times are different now, then we can think about the difference today. Like, what is the difference between like baby boomers and millennials and how technology has ingrained itself in numerous ways and all that like how much has this generational gap been affected by the fact that our generation connects itself a lot more like <laughs> hell i have made friends that i've not met face to face but i've spoken a lot with endlessly with halfway across the world like i've been meeting people talking to people chatting having genuine connections and friendships with folks i've never met in person and although i'd, I'd like to with most of them or all of them uh many of them i might never really and that's okay <laughs> that is genuinely okay because the internet allows that it's really interesting. I have a I have a class uh, that I've been taking, and the teacher is older, grumpier, and he's like, "What are you? You know, you can't disagree with that. Like, social networks are hell, and it's like, uh, it's the worst, and all that." But it's like, yeah, I can't disagree. But you know, there's like, <laughs> I've started a podcast because of Twitter, and of course, the people I follow on Twitter. But like. Without Twitter as a platform, none of what I've, I'm not, I wouldn't have be where I am. I probably would not have been dealing with literature on my research now. I probably wouldn't have known or become that interested in the Gothic. I probably wouldn't know as much about leftist theory or history as I do now. I probably wouldn't know, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have gone into games like Bloodborne, for example, which I love. I love Bloodborne because I learned of channels about the lore. And this past week, I've discovered another one, uh, which I wholly recommend if you're into Bloodborne Dark Souls from Software Lore, which is Sinclair Lore. Uh, really good, really fun, has a podcast, wholly recommend. This is like a sort of official, unofficial left page uh, recommendation of it. At least my personal one, because I have been devoured by the nightmare. Oh well. Uh, talk about a tangent. Oh, it's fine. It's it's the quarantine laws. I I guarantee I give myself a bit more freedom. 
even if it will be as rigorously edited as it always has been. <laughs> uh, but without Twitter, because it all began with Twitter and like YouTube too, I wouldn't be where I am now with tastes, with people, with friendships. Like, I, I don't want to imagine my life without all those great things. And yeah, Twitter is a hellscape nightmare. That all, all that is true. But it has allowed me to meet and connect with such amazing people. Like, Brett from Revleft, John and Ash from the Horror Vanguard, before, uh, John at least, before the Horror Vanguard, with... Who else? It's just an endless hall of people. Uh, Matt and Dean from the Magnificast, Dr. Sam Hurst from... That, that's been doing a course on the Gothic at Romgothsan. I'm going to link all this in the show notes. Hazel Mumforden. It, again, it, it allowed her... her job as a I forget the title as a creative uh, creative writer I think for Dishonored because her analysis and understanding of the outsider in Dishonored like that's an amazing story she's also amazing uh, goes without saying but you know you never know if you don't know it like go and she got a job because talking about it on Twitter so like to make that transition, like, if there was a generation that was misunderstood in that time, post-war, like, with new technologies, with teenage years, like, being a thing now, and adolescence being a thing, a space being given, like, this pathway, then how do we understand these transitions now, marked by all that, and my teenage years are marked by Twitter, in a way that I wouldn't really expect, and podcasts? And YouTube, how can we think about this generational gap now? What has these technologies allowed us? On the one hand, we, well, fascism is a thing, and the alt-right has shown how these connections can be incredibly dangerous and harmful to so many people, but it has also allowed us all to connect and meet meet each other. The comrades have made through the internet, be it how in my own country or around the world that would not have been possible without it. I am, and this is a weird thing to say, but it's still the truth, I am a better person because Twitter is a thing and because I'm present in Twitter. That's still weird to say. So, how how is our current generation misunderstood? Or how the past two generations misunderstood from the baby boomers? How is that a thing? How How is our handling of all this allowed us to both deal with other harms and other issues that were not there before or became exacerbated, but also how did they give us opportunities and chances to connect, to grow, to learn, and to deal with all this? At the end of the day, to think about Holden Caulfield to think about this transitional moment and how to deal with so many different things. I guess my final points are that, like, these moments of transition in our lives, especially this one, from being a kid to being an adult, is incredibly difficult for, amongst numerous other reasons, capitalism. But 
how that may afford us other perspectives in understanding the misconceptions about older generations towards the newer ones today and how how can we make these connections between ourselves and between one another how can we misunderstood can work in understanding i guess that's that's one way of putting it and at the very limit for the good and the bad this book has an amazing phrase that's like a good book makes you want to call the reader and like talk to him about it salinger got numerous letters so and like he couldn't respond to them all to the point where it was driving him mad so it it probably he probably deeply regretted writing that (laughs) but in what way has that like been more possible today for the good and the bad really like Look at J.K. Rowling being a horrible per- transphobic person, and look at like <laughs> um, some of the people I met via the Gothic Book Club that uh, Romgoff Sam is doing. So yeah, yeah, that's a it's an interesting thing that came about. I guess that in one way or another kind of became true. Now that I think of it, <laughs> but yeah. To finally wrap up, sorry for having like two free endings, taking teenagers legitimately, if not wholly seriously, legitimately in what they're feeling, even if it is exacerbated, even if it is a bit too dramatic, it's still genuine a lot of the time. And maybe a lot of that will pass. These difficult times are not futile, they're not meaningless. They serve as this moment where we grief, really. And while Holden is dealing with multiple griefs of his brother, of his colleague, he has his childhood, like all the others. And how that indefinition and that difficult moment can be something to face that is quite dreadful alone. Which is how he is. Sure, he has his sister in the final moment, in the latter quarter of the book, but his inner thoughts, like, he, as a conscience, he's alone. And, yeah, it, it is a moment of identity and individualization and all that, but how how can we work together to reduce that anguish, reduce that pain? And in understanding that... Uh, time in others lives can we understand that for our own dealing with that time in our lives how how did that go for us how was that defining or not how did we grow past it or with it or through it and we grow to understand ourselves and understand others in this period so i think that is the final lesson about all this and about all of it and it comes up with Truffaut, it comes out with Persona 5, it comes up first with the Catcher in the Rye. How can we understand ourselves in dealing with that time and understand that in others? How can we understand one another at the end of the day? So thank you so much for listening, everyone. I hope this was an interesting episode. I am deeply grateful to everyone I've mentioned and all others that I constantly tag on Twitter, all those that I tag at the end of the episode, not at the end of the episode, <laughs> on Twitter when I ask like 
basically like, hey, I did a thing. Look, share, please, please. <laughs> it's like, these are people I know, people I care, and people who, like, thank you for your work, really. Even if you're, like, a friend or colleague, someone I follow, someone I admire, someone I listen. Like, you're great. You know? So, yeah, that's... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed, please subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave us an iTunes review. Those things are helpful. They are. They really are. So please do if you can. Also, please share us on Twitter or social media, wherever. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here. If you can, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash left page. I ha we have some poetry uh, club things, which were discussions Bruno and I had on some works of poetry. We are thinking about that, continuing reworking that, but there's a lot of content that is that there already, and there are the reading corners, which basically either an academic or although mostly because of the quarantine, it's hard to read a lot of academic texts, texts, mostly fiction or short stories that I've been reading, and Bruno as well, uh, that basically are in things, like, to share some of my academic writing, I guess, if not wholly academic, sort of in between. So that's fun. I wrote some one last week, or at the beginning of the week, and I'll write one shortly after the, this recording, which should be up already. So, yeah, there's plenty going on with the left page, even if there was about a month where, like, I was gone. <laughs> well, I was on Twitter, but, you know, uh, which reminds me, follow us on Twitter, at leftpagepod, and, yeah, I think that's that's the outro done. <laughs> so, thank you for being here. Stay safe, everyone, that's all we can wish, and hope you can be doing well in this time, and that we can keep you company in this time as well, in these absolutely uncertain times. So thank you so much for listening, everyone. You're listening, you're caring, you're sharing. It means the world to us, no doubt about it. So simply, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next one. Mm-hmm.